0: Welcome to Classroom Success 101 Podcast Show. I'm your host, Josh Roos, the Hardcore Behaviorist, and I'm here to help you overcome those problems you're experiencing every day. You're listening to a master audio class, so put your positive thinking caps on and get ready for another lesson on how to achieve greatness within your classroom. For show notes, make sure you check out our website at hardcorebehaviors.com forward slash podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at Hardcore Behaviors. Also, make sure you check out our Hardcore Behaviors teacher pay teacher store for our helpful digital downloads and join our Facebook group, Educators United, to help education continue to thrive during these tough times we're facing. When schools are closed throughout the country due to the coronavirus, by joining Educators United, we encourage you to upload free online educational resources to help educate our students from a distance. Welcome to another episode of Classroom Success 101. Today, we have a very special guest, Maria Helton and we will be talking about data today. I know data is um a big piece in in the world of dealing with behavior problems and sometimes we get caught up in not really knowing what the best way to take data is. And so today um Maria, welcome to the show and uh go ahead and, you know, introduce yourself.
1: Sure.
2: Um, so, my name is Maria. I am a behavior specialist in a public school district. Um, so, I help teachers set up classroom management systems as well as assist with functional behavior assessments and behavior intervention plans. And you can find me over on Instagram at Teaching Behavior Together or on my website at teachingbehaviortogether.com.
0: Awesome, awesome and uh today you wanted to talk more on data what what are uh some of the what are some of the big concerns that you're seeing out there with uh you know data?
2: That's a great question. um I see a lot of times that teachers don't necessarily know what type of data to collect, so they end up collecting a lot of information, and it's not always like feasible the way. That they're collecting it so they're spending like a lot of time taking anecdotal notes um, while they're teaching and stuff like that and I see teachers getting frustrated with that data not being able to be used all the time because it might not be directly related to like a behavior that we're targeting in that moment and just so like teaching teachers effective ways of collecting data is something that um, I spend a lot of my time doing
0: okay Okay. And uh, sounds sounds pretty familiar. I know. um, So let's just kind of give a scenario um, of how this piece would play out. You know, say I'm a teacher and and I have a student in my class that is just having uh, behavior problems every day. And all I do is kind of, you know, come to the principal or I, I, I talk to teachers about, oh, this kid has such behavior problems. I just don't know what to do. Um, you know, where some some pieces that maybe teachers out there can get started on if they're seeing, you know, behavior problems? And um, what is it? You know, is there I know for us, we, we start looking at target behaviors, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, can you explain more on that area?
2: Yeah. So what I typically recommend is that we sit down as a team. So like whoever are the members of that team, whether it's just like one general education teacher or maybe a general education teacher, a paraprofessional an intervention specialist, maybe or a special ed teacher. um, And we sit down collectively and we define the target behavior. So like, what does it look like so Mm -hmm. that we're all targeting the same thing and we're all Mm -hmm. focused on that one group of behavior. So like, off-task behaviors, right? So what does that really look like for that student? And how are we defining that? And then move on from that step into how are we actually collecting data on that? Because what I see a lot is, say, like, take the example for off-task that a teacher might take notes on, walked around the room, got a tissue, talked to some peers, and that's all really good information of what they're doing when they're off-task, but we're probably really targeting how long they're off task. So it would be much more valuable to know like the time frame that they were off task or how long they were, they spent off task. So we can start decreasing that amount of time and increasing the amount of time they stay on task. If that makes sense.
0: That, that makes total sense. Um, I know one thing that we, when we sat down and we have meetings um, we definitely go in there and, and I, I think especially when, like you're at maybe a smaller school district and you, you have a behavior specialist mm-hmm. or, you know, you don't, maybe there's a school psychologist around. Um, I know one of the big things that we always try to get the teachers to, to do is like, let us know like the exact behavior. Like mm-hmm. if we came in and the behavior that you are having trouble with, like, like you said, define it out. Like, what does that look like mm-hmm. if I just randomly came into your room that i've never been in your room and this is the student that you're 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 dealing with the behavior what does that look like exactly so that when we walk in not knowing um or not ever been in in the classroom we can see that specifically
2: right exactly because i think a lot of times we like i have an idea of what in my head what off task behavior is but that's more than likely not the exact same thing that everyone else has in their head so if i were to just come in the room without a definition i might be taking data on something that is completely off from what the teacher was actually talking about and in schools mm-hmm. our time is so constricted right like if we're oh, going to be sp- spending time collecting data <laughs> we want to be spending that valuable time collecting data exactly. that we actually need
0: Exactly, because, uh, I mean, I'm sure, um, you know, y- y'all struggle with the fact that sometimes you, I, I know, I like last year, I-, I was writing out at least 150 behavior intervention plans, um, and it was, it, it was, it was, a, it, it was like, I needed to know when this behavior was occurring, how, mm-hmm. how often is this behavior occurring, because when I walk into your classroom, it, it, it is a time crunch for Uh, many behavior specialists out there you know it's it's, the last thing I guess for me one thing that I always kind of got frustrated with was going into a class scheduling at that time and not seeing a behavior Mm -hmm. yeah and it's like oh you know I need to see this behavior so that you know we have a deadline to get um, uh, you know the the plan and all that written up Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things that um, you know Especially when you're sitting down with a behavior specialist, um, you know, really defining that problem out. Um, you know, when is the big time that it happens? Right. Is it you know, is it during lunch or is it during math? Is it like those are the type of areas that mm-hmm. I know if you are getting the opportunity to talk to a behavior specialist, those are things that they want to look at. Right. So um, you know, okay, so as a teacher, if I'm struggling with engagement or, or off task behaviors. Um, and you sit down with me, Um, what are some things that I can do to help take data for you?
2: Well, for most teachers, I recommend once we have a really clear definition is just looking at the clock when the student seems to be off task and um, then writing down like that timestamp and then the timestamp that they get back on task. And because I I feel that's more feasible than them whipping out a phone or a timer because one, mm-hmm. timers sometimes get lost or you leave them like on a table or you move to another area of the room and you're if you're using like one of those little kitchen timers, um, or a student might grab it and turn it off or something along those lines. I typically never recommend that teachers take out their phones because um, students might want to play on them or depending on like what age group you're with or. Um, I, I just, I think taking out your phone is like a hassle in my opinion. So I think the most feasible way for a classroom teacher to do it is to be looking at a wall clock of some sort. Now that's not the most accurate way, but I think it's the most feasible way that we have for teachers. Now, if there's a Mm. paraprofessional in the room, I typically would recommend then a timer um, because they can Mm -hmm. maybe focus more just on that student and taking data, just on that behavior, if they were able to devote like 20 or 30 minutes of that class period, just like focusing on the data collection piece of it. Because that's, I think, I think that's how you really get a true duration measure is if you do have somebody that's solely there just to take that data. But a lot of times, teachers, I mean, teachers have to teach the rest of their class. So if we can um, just get them to timestamp the like on a post it or something, that gives me more information than like anecdotal notes would.
0: Okay. And uh, kind of explain, because I, 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 I know um, some some teachers out there might be very new to the field. Like mm-hmm. what what is anecdotal data? What What is that?
2: So anecdotal data is like when you just kind of take notes, um, like you just write down like specifically what happened. I see that a lot is that teachers will like write out specific scenarios or situations of what happened. Um, and that's a lot to sift through. And I think that takes a lot of teachers time. And mm-hmm. when I'm presented with that type of data, there's not a whole lot I can do with it. And I hate saying to teachers, like, like, it's great reading your notes, but I can't really do a whole lot with it. Um, exactly. Just like cause if you were to code those for like frequency or something, it it might not be the most accurate either. So if we can do like quantitative data, so that's like a frequency count or like a duration measure, um, that gives us a lot more information that we can work with. Um, I mean, and to me it's more feasible than just sitting there and taking notes.
0: Exactly. I mean, one of the, one of the things I remember uh, I I would get stacks and stacks of like those little notebooks. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Roos, I, I took all these notes. And mm-hmm. I took it, I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like, that's like, now I got to go home and read a bunch of chapters worth of of notes and, and trying to break those things out to try to get um, either a frequency count or a duration, the amount of time and, and, and trying to break it into trying to get a baseline uh, data was mm-hmm. very difficult um, and it took time. So, um, those are things that, you know, with with teachers that, um, you know, trying to explain that stuff up front to to be able to get that data is crucial.
2: Right. Because I definitely don't um, want teachers to waste their time taking that data, because I know it, it's really frustrating when you're sitting in a meeting and they have like stacks of stuff. And you're like, I mean, that's that paints a good picture of what your classroom is, but it doesn't like that's not something that I need right now for the, the functional behavior assessment or the behavior plan.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's a, a big, a big piece on that end. So, you know, once, once the data is collected and everything um, kind of explain what the next step in the process is on that end.
1: So
2: once we have data, what I typically do is determine like sit down with the team again and determine what is our goal for the behavior? So if we're sticking with our off task example and we see like on average, the student is off task for 20 minutes out of an hour time period. What is our, what are incremental steps to decreasing that amount of time and what do we want to see them doing um, as opposed to being off task? Right? So we really want Mm -hmm. to focus on that alternative behavior and Teach the student skills so that they're able to build their capacity and stay on task longer. While we're taking data to see if um, our intervention is working and the amount of time off task is decreasing.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and and that's crucial to to the intervention. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's we we got to have that data up front so that we we can see if those interventions are actually working. Mm-hmm. And it's um, so
2: crucial when. There are tough days. Right. So when Mm -hmm. when things aren't going perfect and because we know behavior doesn't change overnight and it's a process and we really want to be able to refer back to the data on a daily or weekly basis so that we can see if things are improving so we can provide that teacher with more support if it's not improving and change up our game plan. And if it is re- improving, it's a reminder on those tougher days that like, okay, things are going in the right direction. Today was just a hard day, um, but tomorrow will be better.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's, that's the thing. Cause we, you know, it, it can get real frustrating mm-hmm. if, you know, if you're not taking the, de- the data and you start having those tough days and it's like, well, this is not working. Mm-hmm. This ain't working. This is, this is stupid. I don't know why they make me do this. And it's like, uh, you know, if you do have it you can see that, that change. And it's, it's going to take a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it, it, like I always go back to, it's like working out. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to work out to, and one day, you know, I'm not going to walk out of the gym looking, Oh man, I, I met my goals today. You know, yep. I, I, I lost 20 pounds in the gym within 45 minutes of working out. Yep. That's not, it doesn't happen. I use so. that example
2: all the time. <laughs> Cause I think it's something everyone can relate to, right? Like, you eat healthy, mm-hmm. like you eat a salad for lunch. You don't step on a scale expecting to lose five pounds by dinner. So we can't exactly. expect behavior to change that quickly either.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's one thing is like having that patience to see that change. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you've—I uh, don't know how long you've been in the same district or the same uh, schools, but I mean, it's it's really it's really awesome to see you know where that child after a few years mm-hmm. like, where that child was and then where that child is at now. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, some, some teachers, some teachers like get frustrated about little things and I'm like, man, you should have had that student back when that student was in kindergarten. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the behaviors have completely changed. So uh, data is really, really crucial in, in keeping track of so that, we can see these changes mm-hmm. over a, a time frame um you know the other piece to it is i think we're uh, let's let's kind of talk more on like iep or like behavior goals and things like that
1: mm-hmm.
0: um i know that's been uh, I, I know that's been a very very tough uh topic for buy in mm-hmm. amongst school districts or schools Um, because, you know, one thing that, and I I don't know if y'all have, if y'all been doing this, but I know this is big that it's been down here in the the Austin, uh, Texas area is these, what they call these daily behavior report cards. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's a lot easier to do. I I feel like it's a lot easier to do when they're in elementary school because it's one teacher, um, when it starts becoming, uh, you know, a secondary, um, school, I think teachers it, it's now you got more teachers involved mm-hmm. and it's trying to get teachers on the same page. I mean, for me, I've had to have several staff meetings, um, just trying to get everybody on the same page. Um, because it's like, yeah, I, I think it becomes a communication mm-hmm. error at some point. Yeah. Um, uh, so I don't know you know, I I know, like, our thing with it is, is, you know, when we have these programs, um, these behavior, or behavior programs where the students are within the, the, the classroom setting, um, you know, I know one program was more of a, we did a daily behavior report card where the, the teacher would report on their behavior based on their goals, and then, Um, you know, the behavior teacher would go in at least once a week and, and do direct observation, Mm -hmm. uh, data on them. And then it was just taking you know, multiple forms of data and, and really analyzing that to see, um, if there are behavior changes and things like that. Cause I I think I, I do see, um, I do see where data can get skewed at times, mm-hmm. um, especially if a teacher is just like, oh, he was good or she was good. Mm-hmm. And, and really, they weren't really good. They just didn't have time to, um, you know, especially engagement. They just kind of got distracted through the class and didn't really take that data. Um, you know, what, what are some things that y- you all use or you're seeing um, where you're at with um, students that are in, you know, these behavior support programs.
2: We, I've also seen the, like the daily behavior report cards in elementary buildings. I try and recommend for secondary that we should be really teaching the students to self monitor their behavior because Mm -hmm. like if we're teaching and preparing them for life after high school, um, there's not going to be someone following them around saying like, Oh, you, you did a good job today you know yeah. it's more of like you giving yourself reinforcement um are you being able to reflect on your own behavior so um i try and highlight that as much as i can like in the upper elementary grades, we really need to be teaching them how to discriminate if between if they're doing like a good job or if they need to be working on something um or if they need to uh, um, engage in some sort of strategy that allows them to refocus themselves or calm their bodies in some way. So I'm a big proponent of that. And then um, I see the same thing you do sometimes with the, the communication problem when a student does have multiple teachers, and they're all collecting data. And as well as the, the issue of when A teacher like forgets to collect data for the daily report card, and then just like marks off that they were good um, because they weren't they were running groups or they were doing something else, and they weren't necessarily attuned to what the student was doing. Mm -hmm. So those are all like obstacles to collecting data. And some of some of the things that I recommend for like remembering to take data would be to um, are you familiar with the motivator timer?
0: No, I am not
2: so there's there's this timer called the motivator timer, and it's an interval timer that you can get and you set it for different intervals and then you like put it on your um uh, your pants and it'll buzz like it'll vibrate and it, and I have teachers using it to remind them to take data. So it's just like and you set it to whatever interval you want to and it's just like a reminder to the teacher that oh, you need to be looking around the room, see if this kid's on task or not. Um, And teachers really like that because when you have 500 other things going on, you don't always remember to take the data that you're supposed to be taking. And if you're supposed to be like checking to see if they're meeting their goals for their daily report card, um, it's just like a good way to like prompt you like, oh yeah, look around the room, see where that kid is. Are they doing Mm -hmm. um, what they're supposed to be doing? Um, So that's something I recommend to like remember to take data. Um, and then for the communication, you can use like Google Forms or something like that, so teachers can see like previous class periods how they were too, and it's just like one long running data sheet as opposed to um, a bunch of like individual data sheets, I guess. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I've I've actually set up Google Forms for yeah. that uh, at the secondary level um, because it's just. Um, you know, I, I guess you start getting where the, the, they struggle with the fact that the student doesn't want to bring the DPRC around, Yep. yep. Um, they don't want to do it. And then it becomes, you know, it, it's like, well, I mean, we do have this written in here that we're supposed to be collecting data on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it becomes a, a form that we do, we put in online but I, I I like where you went with the self monitoring with secondary, um, and and almost I, I think I think where I think where most um, you know behavior programs go wrong is that whole thing of relying on that DBRC mm-hmm. all the way through, and I think if we can start looking at you know younger uh, at the lower elementary to To be doing the if we have to do the d b r c we can do the d b r c but as soon as they start into that upper elementary, start teaching those self monitoring mm-hmm. skills so that when we transition into secondary um we we do have that self monitoring um going on right um, and i i mean i'm sure there's a whole lot of things out there i know um, some kids don't like bringing that up to the teacher. Yep. They, they're like, well, I don't, everybody else is not doing it. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I don't know if there's things out there that, um, you know, we can try to make it more where it's not um, a big embarrassment issue for the students. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know that's why we've, we, some of them we tended to put on the, like the Google drive mm-hmm. or the Google Sheets. Um and that and that works awesome. I mean mm-hmm. that's that's pretty good. I, I know it kinda um each teacher can see those things that are happening through the day. Um but I mean the the I'm I'm big component on uh you know data is crucial for behavior change. I mean right. um because if you if we don't collect it then you know we're now we're just guessing, is the mm-hmm. behavior changing or not? So. Right,
2: exactly. And um, as you're moving to the secondary level, it might even be more helpful just to do like two or three check-ins throughout the day with the student, as opposed to them doing like after every period to make it more, um, like less stigmatizing for them, right? Like if they went to check-in with like a trusted adult in the morning, maybe halfway through the day, and then at the end of the day, and like self-reported on their behavior, And then obviously teachers can verify, you know, if they with an e through an email or something along those lines, or like a teacher Google form with Mm -hmm. whoever they're checking in with, because we, we also want to like fade out the dependency on like an hour by hour behavior chart, right? Because that's just not realistic of life either. You know, when you have a job, your boss might like see you when you start and then maybe like halfway through your shift and then maybe when you leave, but not they're not checking in on you every 15 minutes to see if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing.
0: Exactly. And I mean, that's, that's one piece, especially, I mean, I've, I've experienced, you know, certain students where, you you know, you ask them um, certain things about, um, you know, what, what are their goals for the day? And Mm -hmm. they're, they're like, well, I got to make, you know, a hundred percent on my DBRC, And that's the only thing they write down. And I'm like, okay, this kid's dependent like no other Mm -hmm. on this. Or it's Mm -hmm. like, Um, maybe his uh, family member wants this to be done all the time. And it's like now it becomes, it's like a burden upon them. And it's not really, it's not a tool that's driving them for, um, you know, to, to be accountable. It's just something that it's something somebody else wants. And if they don't get it done, it's, it's more of like a, um, like a punishable thing for them. So, um, you know, and it's, uh, so, it, I mean, as as you know, behavior teachers or behavior specialists, I think those are things that, when we start going into that secondary level, you know, we got to take take into account for. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I know, you know, with especially with teachers, especially at that secondary, because it gets to the point where you know, one teacher is seeing 150 kids per day, mm-hmm. and, right? You, you know. You start like, hey, how was Johnny's behavior today? Who? Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so um, secondary starts getting a little bit different from elementary, mm-hmm. but I do, I do like that check in, you know, a couple of times a day, um, you know, what, what's your thoughts on uh, how crucial it is to have some kind of behavior team or, or behavior support teacher on campus? For these reasons?
2: That's such a good question. I think it's essential to every district. Um, I think that's Mm -hmm. the way districts are moving towards having someone on staff that is um, knowledgeable about behavior and has like that background to support teachers because um, it it's, I see it as helpful with like the social emotional learning push that a lot of districts are going for um, incorporating more social emotional learning because I think, Social emotional learning and behavior go hand in hand, right? So, if, if students are taught per, um, appropriate social emotional learning skills like coping strategies and self awareness and self management, then it'll help heart- mitigate some of the behaviors that we see. Um, so, I think it's it's definitely a key aspect of school teams and and very val- valuable to districts in terms of just ensuring that students are meeting maximum success, you know, success no longer is just defined by academic achievement and getting into a good college, but um, like being a, a good student all over in terms of academics, behavior, social, emotional learning, just, you know, being a kind, good person.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I mean, uh, and, um, you know, I, I've, I've been in schools where, a lot of times they just don't see the value in that mm-hmm. and it's so frustrating because it's like you know before a student's even going to be able to sit down and learn mm-hmm. you know that behavior has to be in control and um you know I, I, my thing with it is uh you know I, I don't know how your y'all school districts are are running but do you see more um if if they're are they utilizing teachers in these positions or are they using, you know, more paraeducators in these positions?
2: So I've seen kind of a mix. Um, Some districts that I've seen hire teacher or put teachers on special assignment who might've had a lot of experience, like special ed teachers who had a lot of experience, like an EBD classroom. And then they're on special assignment to consult with teachers throughout the district. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, I've seen teacher or schools, more and more hiring behavior analysts as part of a staff member because they've probably contracted out at one point with a local company for maybe with a student who was identified with autism and they saw the value that that brought to that classroom and then was maybe consulting with that company, but that can get really expensive for districts as opposed to just hiring someone on staff to serve the entire district as opposed to paying like a private company for consulting Mm -hmm. hours.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, I, and that's, that's one thing with it is, you know, and I know uh, some of these, like, unfortunately, in the districts that I've worked in, you know, our school districts couldn't afford a, a mm-hmm. BCBA, right. um, but, you know, with the, the schools that are, that have BCBAs, are these BCBAs are, you know, and I don't know if you know, but I'm just kind of asking, mm-hmm. you know, are these BCBAs, are are they involved in the classroom, you know, helping educate the kid? Or are these BCBAs more as a consultant type of person?
2: In my experience, so I'm a BCBA and um, in my experience from other colleagues that I have that were more of consultants that okay. having us as direct service really limits our capacity in the district. So instead of keeping us as direct service, which is what a traditional BCBA does, right? A lot of direct service Mm -hmm. one-on-one with a student or maybe like a really small group with a student is building the capacity of teachers to learn skills to teach their students, right? So that's a huge part of my role is like building the capacity of a teacher for strong classroom management and teaching explicit skills to students, as opposed to me going in and doing it because then I would probably be able to serve like 15 to 20 students as opposed to all the teachers in the building
1: Mm -hmm. who can then serve all the kids Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and it's it's they need that expert knowledge throughout the entire districts on um, behavior um you know luckily y'all's district is is able to um you know be be, be able to get bcbas mm-hmm. i know the districts i've worked in like i'm not a bcba mm-hmm. um I, i've just learned over you know the years of of doing and working in behavior right uh, and piecing things together and i'm sure you know if i went in for my bcba there's still things that i would have to learn on that end but um it's like some of these districts um do not have the 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 ability to be able to pay for a BCBA, right. and, and luckily,
2: um, at least from what I see around, is that more and more behavior analysts actually want to work in schools. So the field of behavior analysis is kind of um, evolving and growing. And so like I teach grad school on the side and probably at least half of my classes each semester are people pursuing positions in districts. Because that's, you know, that's what they want to do as opposed to in-home service. And so that's Mm -hmm. really positive for districts because, um, you know, you can, like, not that it's all about money because not a lot of us get into education to make a really big paycheck. But in the private world, you're doing in-home or clinic-based stuff. You can make more money than you can in a public school district. So some of that, like, like, supply and demand wasn't there. And I think mm-hmm. as the field of behavior analysis is growing, that more and more people want to work in districts um, and aren't necessarily um, de- desiring to work in the home setting and are, you know, going to districts for jobs. Um, so I think that's a really positive thing.
0: Yeah, I know uh, more and more are hiring um, BCBAs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, uh, I know some BCBAs want to strictly work with in autism yep. and. You know, some strictly don't want to um, deal with um, emotional disturbance. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion? What's your take on that?
2: Um, that's a really good question. So, when I started in behavior analysis, like ten years ago, so I haven't been a BCB for ten years, but I started my coursework in behavior analysis about ten years ago, and. I never had the desire to work solely with kids with autism, but that's where the field was then is Mm -hmm. really popular with kids with autism. So a lot of my like practicum and our experiences were with kids with autism. And I love that population. I love my time with them, but I always, always, always wanted to work in a school. And I'm, I was so happy when I saw the field going that way and, And what I typically say to my students, my grad students is, you know, like find what you're passionate about. If you love working in homes with families, with students identified with autism, like that's what you should do. But if you love working in schools, because a lot of my students are teachers that are going back to school to get their BCBA, like you should stick with that then, like be of service in your district. So I think it's all just like personal preference, but I do know even as early as 10 years ago that a lot of people felt like ABA people with autism and it kind of hindered the availability of positions outside of autism.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I know, um, I mean, that was kind of what I used to see a lot of. It was like um, BCBA is kind of like, it, if it was autism, they're all about it. But if it was anything else, it was a complete different story. Um, and I think, in the long run that might've kind of, uh, I don't know if that had a negative side effect on schools trying to hire BCBAs because of the thought of, they just, you know, strictly wanting to work in the field of autism. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think more and more, you know, it's, it, there is a need there. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, especially with the amount of assessments that are, that are happening throughout the districts. I know, um, you know, we, I, I don't know if y'all have heard on Texas. We used to be, you, we we had an eight percent cap rate, and then um, I think Houston, Houston, there was a lawsuit in Houston that they were saying, well, how, how can you just say there's an eight percent cap rate? Like, right. you know, so now um, it's 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 opened up. There is no percentage, and I think that has kind of um, shifted the entire state into um, more overload in assessment because the uh, they're identifying more and more students within the school districts so um, i know that's a big piece when it comes to assessment i know um, pretty much if you're a school psychologist Mm -hmm. um, from my understanding you know you you pretty much get a job anywhere um that's a big needed in that area um but uh that's that's awesome to hear that um you know their b c b a s are more shifting into being able to help out more in the um the school districts because they there's a lot of schools out there that really need that mm-hmm. um, it's it's especially especially some of these smaller districts mm-hmm. um, they it's they just don't have a whole lot of resources out there right um the struggle for these teachers so um but i mean it's it's there it's needed um i'm sure y'all see it every year um you know with the amount of behavior um, problems that arise within the school districts um i think i think i i wish we can hit more early intervention mm-hmm. uh, provide elementary schools with uh more intense intervention mm-hmm. Um, especially when you're talking about the uh, social emotional learning pieces. Mm -hmm. I I just like, I I mean, I've worked in smaller school districts or or I've worked in the lower elementaries and, uh, you know, when you're doing stations and most of it's like play, I I just think we're missing a crucial piece there. Like I get play, but I I think we need to be able to teach them some skills for for some of these students. So, um, but it's. I think it's, it's a a piece that is still developing in most school districts. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's based off of uh, sometimes I feel like academics is still the bigger need or the the more we focus on it. It's like, Hey, you know, (laughs) we, 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 we uh, we're a need too, you Mm -hmm. know, so um, but uh, I, you know, other than that, I think, you know, with behavior, and, you know, I appreciate you coming on today and talking about, uh, data. I, I think that's a big piece, um, within the area of getting, that's like the start, you know, that's identifying the target behavior and, and getting some baseline mm-hmm. off of that, so that, um, you know, behavior people can put their intervention in and, um, you know, go from there. So, um, you know, uh, to end this real quick, um if you can you give like some quick advice to maybe if you're a brand new teacher and you know, you're struggling with behavior, um, you know, what are some things that you can reach out to a, a behavior um, specialist or, or, you know, I, I think, I guess where I'm trying to word it as is more, I feel like some teachers don't really want to, uh, talk to the behavior mm-hmm. support people because they come in their classroom and then they observe, mm-hmm. is there, you know, Uh, Can you speak on that? Sure.
2: So I would, if I was a teacher or a newer teacher and I was looking for like some assistance in my classroom, I would find out who the behavior specialist was and hopefully they were somebody that, you know, you could start to build some rapport with because I think with like anything we do, building rapport with adults and students is so important. And at least all of the behavior specialists that I know I always go into a classroom with the an open mind of no one comes into education to to not see students succeed, right? And we're all in this field and we're doing our best. And if I can provide any type of assistance and help to a teacher, that's what I find really valuable and what I really enjoy doing. And a lot of the behavior specialists that I work with really like helping coach a teacher along and I think as a new teacher, you also have to remember that everything we do is a skill and probably in your student teaching, you didn't have to set up your own classroom management system. You might not have had students who had some behavioral struggles um, or the teacher that you were uh, doing your student teaching with might have had really strong classroom management and everything was working really well and you didn't really have to do that for yourself. And So if you're like a first, second, third year teacher, know that classroom management is a skill. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. You need to practice it and find what works for you. And if there is someone in your building that you can bring in to help give you some tips or just see things from an outside perspective, as like as simple as things as like the layout of your room maybe you don't realize that your teacher table is like way in the corner and that's creating some issues like way on the opposite side of the room where the students are super off task because you're not close to them and just Mm -hmm. moving your teacher table might really help with getting everyone on task because you're closer to everyone and they would realize oh the teacher is really close by me she's going to see that i'm off task so i'm going to be on task um just like really little things like that can be really beneficial to a classroom. Um, so hopefully the your working relationship with whoever is in your building that could assist in building a relationship with that person is key. And then um, knowing that most behavior specialists are here to help and support you. And we have no like a value like I have no evaluative like bone in my body, so I don't go in and say like, oh, you're doing all of this wrong. But, mm-hmm. you know, like you do this really well. And these are some areas that could really help benefit your students. And I typically, when I go into classrooms and I'm giving some teachers some tips, I just tell them like one or two, maybe three things to adjust because I also don't want to overwhelm the teacher. Um, but for specifically for data collection, if, if someone was coming to me for advice on data collection, I would say that quantitative data is way better than qualitative data in Mm -hmm. my opinion um, if you spend your time doing anything it would be taking quantitative data as opposed to um, qualitative data which is like the anecdotal notes um, but actually like frequency counts or duration would be a lot more useful you'll see a lot more um, progress with behavior if you're taking that type of data so if you're going to spend your time doing something, try and figure out a way to take quantitative data.
0: Agreed. I mean, those are those are things uh, I can speak on to. Same thing. You know, if you have the opportunity for, um, you know, behavior, um, you know, specialists coming into your room, um, we're definitely not in there to do the Oh, I gotcha. You know mm-hmm. that's not the intention I know some I know some people some teachers over the year got real nervous when when I would go in there and then there was you know a complaint to administration you know mm-hmm. how come I didn't know about this observation and it's like I mean like we sat down I mean mm-hmm. we talked about coming in there um but we're not you know we're not going in there to um you know say oh well this teacher doesn't know what they're doing you know um, you know, th- this needs to reflect on their, their yearly observation tests that they get done by the administration. I mean, mm-hmm. those, t- those two things are totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you, like I'm going to say out there, if you have an opportunity to have a behavior specialist or a BCBA come into your room, like pick their brains, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> uh, I mean, cause anybody that's worked in the behavior Um, world loves to um, help out and right you know uh, tell teachers some things that can improve their classroom so Mm -hmm. definitely if you get the opportunity I would you know sit down and and talk to them um, and just get ideas and like you said I like your um, perspective on is like you know you know don't try to take everything try to take that one or two and 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 go from there and, and and make that change um, you know, I recently went to a a, a training on e l l students, and you know the 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 trainers up there speaking about all these little different things that you can you could be providing into your classroom and this is what you need to do blah blah you know just over so much. And mm-hmm. I think what she didn't realize she was doing was she was stressing people out. Right. Um, the last thing you want to
2: do for a new teacher is give them a to-do list. That's 10 or 12 things long. Cause they're already exactly. overwhelmed.
0: Exactly. And uh, you know, that I, like I was listening to it cause for me it was, it was new information for me, mm-hmm. uh, but I was listening to it. I was like, Oh wow. I mean like ideally that sounds great, but um, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta start small. Um, you, you know, you can't just go in there and, and take the 30 things that was the golden nuggets and say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to Because it's, you're not at that habit yet. You, you're, you're still trying to, um, provide those, those interventions. And, and those are things that, um, you, you aren't, your skill level is not there. So mm-hmm. start them, awesome. but, um, know that, you know, don't get overwhelmed with every little thing um, that you need to be doing within your classroom. I would say, um, you know, if you can throw maybe a couple uh, golden nuggets of if I was a brand new teacher, what is like the core thing of how I need to set my classroom up besides making my bulletin board all pretty. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I would definitely say the, like the physical arrangement of your classroom the the high traffic areas should be very clear so the doorway the garbage can the pencil sharpener anywhere where you have stuff being turned in should be relatively clear of students like desks being around there because that just is a recipe for kids walking around and like chatting with each other um, as well as your teacher table or your desk being in a very central location I know for organizational purposes, it's really nice to have it, like, pushed back in some corner to keep it out of the way, but that just perpetuates um, you not being able to see the entire room, like, all the time, and like I said earlier, if you're, like, way far away from a group of students, they're going to more than likely be a little bit more off-task than if you're in a central location, you're able to, like, constantly be scanning the room to see who's on task, who needs a prompt. Um, Who needs, you know, some redirection, something along those lines. So keeping like your high traffic areas clear, having your desk or teacher table in a central location and then having visuals of your expectations um, posted somewhere in your classroom where you can point to them. As opposed to a lot of verbal prompts, because a lot of times with verbal prompts, I see teachers getting in like a little bit of a back and forth with the student as opposed to just like a nonverbal quick eye contact with the student and pointing to the expectation. Um, that can be a lot more effective than uh, either verbally redirecting them because they might feel embarrassed or called out in front of the class. Um, and they might just like start engaging in with that verbal back and forth that would take up more of your time and um, might further embarrass the student and you don't want to do that. so. I would say visuals, teacher table location, and keeping high traffic areas clear of student seats.
0: Love it. I love it. Uh, I know that's one big piece that I could definitely, uh, you know, get on board with is definitely, you know, before everything looks pretty yeah. um, Instagram worthy, right. make sure that core is in place. Yeah. Uh, because that's that's the number one thing that you're going to need. Um, within the classroom because um, at the end of the day you're the one managing that classroom um, and you know that's one of the things that I know that always sat down and, and and focused on on any classroom if I had to teach it was just getting the basics in place yeah so then you can add some of the pretty stuff later but make sure that, right. that core pieces are there right
1: Exactly. Well,
0: yeah yeah so Maria, I I have enjoyed our time together on um, this episode. Um, You have dropped a lot of good information um, for listeners out there to get started, especially with data and, um, you know, setting up the basic things for the classroom. And I uh, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, And maybe we can talk more on other topics in the future.
2: Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
0: If you know someone who needs to hear this, share it with them, send them a text message, a DM, an email, put it on all your social media platforms, and tag me at Hardcore Behaviors. Also, keep the five-star reviews coming over on iTunes. It helps teachers find the show so they get an opportunity to make the decision to grow as well.